We are live with episode 16 of Hobnails, Hoops, and High Cheddar, the podcast that's by everyday fans. For every everyday fans, Danny Rucker here with Emery Kane. No Christian Britt again today. He's had some illness uh, issues the last couple of days and was not up to being with us tonight. But we do have a special guest to take his place. Someone you and I, Emery, we've known for upwards of uh, 10 to 12 years, I guess, yeah, through absolutely. basketball coaching. Uh, he's kind of like us. He's not from here originally, but he's made his way here through through basketball and through coaching. Uh, we have Gatlinburg Pittman Junior High girls basketball coach Alex Bowers with us today. Uh, Alex, you're on with us live. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm great tonight. Uh, glad to be joining you guys. Been following the show uh, as much as I can since y'all have started and, uh, and have really enjoyed it. So you guys, I, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning. You did, you are not from East Tennessee. Emory and I are not from East Tennessee either. We've kind of made our way here through college, and then basketball has kind of taken us, you know, to where we're at. So uh, if you want to give the uh, listeners and the and the uh, uh, viewers right now a little bit of background about you, where'd you come from, how'd you get here, um, you know, just kind of your journey. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm originally from Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, which is Middle Tennessee. It's uh, Montgomery County, the uh, the county uh, north of Davidson where Nashville is, and uh, actually transferred my senior year of high school to, to Cheatham County High School where I graduated and then played basketball in college. My freshman year, uh, I went out to West Tennessee and played at Bethel University um, and then, uh, you know, didn't really enjoy my time out in West Tennessee. Uh, the basketball part of things was just fine at Bethel, but, you know, everything else just – wasn't a great fit. And so um, I actually knew uh, one of my close personal friends who I grew up playing with and against my whole life in Clarksville was at Maryville. And we had stayed in touch and uh, asked him how things were going. And, and he really enjoyed it. So I came up and played and kind of went on a tour and, and did that whole thing and loved it and ended up transferring and played my last three years at Maryville. Absolutely loved my time at Maryville College. Uh, loved living in the city of Maryville. I've loved my time in East Tennessee. And, uh, and I've stuck around ever since. And I, I mentioned you're the uh, Gatlinburg Pittman Junior High girls coach, but you've uh, done a little bit more than that. So you've done some AAU coaching, which we're going to talk about a little bit here. Not just your AAU coaching, just AAU coaching in general, one of our topics. Uh, so you've done some AAU coaching and coached at Knoxville Catholic. Tell us about, you know, just kind of your coaching journey here since you've been out of college. Yeah, so uh, finished up college in 08, um, played, uh, attempted to play a couple years of semi-pro ball. Um, my first years out of college and had uh, held odd and end jobs since then. And then uh, my first, um, uh, let's see here, my first uh, stint into coaching was uh, was as the freshman boys coach at Seymour High School. And I was uh, a SPED teacher's assistant at Sevier County High School. And then after that first year, the, uh, the men's assistant job at Maryville College where I played under Coach Lambert opened up. And, uh, and I actually – I uh, did that for two years. Uh, while I was doing that, um, I started coaching girls travel basketball for the Tennessee Flight um, AAU organization um, and, and doing those simultaneously. Uh, loved every minute of doing both. And then after two years of doing that, the, the girls job at Knoxville Catholic opened up. Uh, I got that job and I spent five years there. And uh, I'm now in my fourth year teaching at Gatlinburg Pittman. Uh, this is our second year of having a junior high program where we have combined uh, Pittman Center, 
Cadence Chapel and PiFi. So we're in our second year program there, and uh, and loving that. And so I've done the college level, I've done uh, high school level, I've done middle school level, I've done the travel ball level. Um, I've done just about a, a little trades. bit of everything. <clears throat> What's that, Em? Jack of all trades. I don't know about I don't know about all that. <laughs> You actually coached uh, Christian with that that freshman ball stint, and it's pretty sad that he's not on because he said he he said he had some pretty good stories about you. I'm kind of kind of sad. I was really looking forward to those stories. Yeah. Uh, the one he told us was absolutely hilarious. I said, I wish you had waited until Alex got on so you could really see my reaction uh, about that because it was it was very funny. I, maybe uh, he'll have to tell that next time he's on. I uh, I remember having Christian on that freshman group and. Uh, I remember the majority of kids on the, you know, that was, had to be 11 years ago now. Uh, but I remember the majority of kids in that freshman group and, and Emory tried to fill me in a little bit on, on what the story was. Um, and, and I do remember that story. And I actually was hoping Christian would be on cause I had a, a few stories to, to tell, tell to tell with him. So, uh, so we'll have to catch back up with him. Well, for sure. not on, we can, we can bash him as much as possible. Um, so how, how was Christian as a freshman basketball player? So, you know, Christian was just one of many pieces we had on that team. Uh, and when I say, you know, as a, as a piece, uh, you know, when you're a freshman in high school, you don't, you're not really, you haven't really set your, you know, skill set or really defined your role yet. But, but Christian was a shooter, um, or at least that's what Christian wanted. He wasn't a maker. He was. Yes. Yeah. Yes. We had a whole team of shooters, including Christian. Um, but you know, uh, you know, Christian was a great kid, uh, and he was a good player, and and he he was putting the time in, and he was a good teammate, and um, uh, and yeah, and uh, and I enjoyed coaching Christian. You know, he was a you know he was a hard worker, and he wanted to do what you asked him to do, um, and uh, and I only got to spend one year with him. But you could tell, uh, you know, if he stuck with it, which I didn't know he'd end up quitting until the last <laughs> podcast. But I think I think things were going all right for him before that happened. Yeah. He had he quit actually his senior year. I want to say it was December of his senior year. So he yeah. was he had played that, that well, year that you go. that year that you were there, Alex. Uh, actually, the next year was the year I took because that's when you left and AJ went to Gatlinburg, which opened up those spots at Seymour, and I got to fill in one of those spots. Yep. Uh, so that was I was one of that's when I became one of Christian's coaches. So he, like you said, he was a good teammate, shooter, not a maker. Uh, but enough about Christian. Uh, one of the things I wanted to uh, talk about was AAU coaching experience. And the reason that I, I wanted to bring it up with you on here is because this is kind of one of the things that we had on, on the, uh, my podcast notes when me and Emery first started talking about doing a podcast. This is one of the things that it's not, not so much that it's funny AAU coaching, but there's a lot of funny things, comical things that go on, a lot of good things and a lot of bad things. But most of the time, some of the things that go on AAU coaching is just kind of ridiculous. And I kind of want to clarify, too, a little bit about AAU coaching and just spring ball coaching. What you do when you coach the Tennessee flight, that's actual AAU coaching. That's actual and, coaching. And, uh, yeah, that's that's coaching an AAU team. And I don't I've, – I've only coached one AAU team. I actually coached one of uh, the flight teams one of the years. But really, I like the, – the most experience I have is kind of taking our Pigeon Forge girls and, and going and, and uh, letting them play in, like, these local yeah. tournaments. Yeah. That's not AAU, though. That's a little <laughs> bit different. Um, so, AAU coaching, Alex, how – got a high-level team. What do you like better? Do you like AAU coaching or do you like taking your team from Gatlinburg and – and seeing them grow, which one do you like? Because your your AAU team is kind of loaded, 
What do you like better? Um, I really like uh, a lot of parts of both. So on you know your school team side, I really like uh, the structure, the schedule, you know, knowing that you're going to have the girls in school, knowing that the girls are going to be at practice. Um, you know, I like setting the schedule, you know, knowing who are going to play and that type of thing. On the AAU side, um, the talent from, you know, top to bottom or one through 12, of course, is going to be there more so than your school team. But, you know, um, some I don't like the, uh, the unstructured part of it sometimes, whereas your players may not have a right to practice or they may not have uh, family members or relatives that can get them to and from a tournament and stay with them and stuff like that. And so um, a lot of those loose ends, uh, you have a lot more loose ends on the AAU side, um, I feel like. But, uh, but you know, something that ha that got me into coaching girls basketball, you know, at the time I was the men's assistant at Maribel College and, and was asked to help out, you know, with the flight program. And, and on the first, uh, not the first flight team I had, but the second flight team I had, uh, our top seven or eight girls ended up, all being, uh, I had them as freshmen, three years down the road, all ended up being Division One or two scholarship players. And just coaching girls at that level um, was so enjoyable because they were so talented, they were so smart, um, and it just made coaching a lot of fun. And I've stuck with it, uh, you know, that would, that would have been nine years ago. I've stuck with it ever since. Um, and I've actually continued to do AAU the entire time also. So I love coaching the AAU side of it. I love coaching the school ball side of it. And uh, and I also use it, you know, as experience. Um, you know, you can find yourself in, uh, you know, game situations or, you know, playing against certain players that you would never – that you would never be in in school ball. And so uh, and so I kind of just do it as an experience thing and, and um, you know, hopefully you just learn and learn along the way. So <clears throat> why – was the first ahead, team you had was that the team that I helped you with that had uh, Kayla Tilly and and Molly and yeah that would have been so the first uh, the fir very first flight team I had we just played a local schedule something that Danny was talking about we had the majority of the Seymour girls at that time oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the second time uh, this that second year would have been uh, Molly Melton and, and Kayla Tilly who just recently passed away and who's one of my favorite girls and players of all time. Um, and then, you know, you have Katie Collier on that team, uh, Cassie Knight, Deja Maxwell, um, a, a lot of big-time players. Really good, yeah. I, I remember I helped you a little bit with that team. That was, that was fun to coach, absolutely. And, and I, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit more as far as, you know, the things we like and don't like about AU and the players we coach against. But uh, uh, in, even with it being that long ago, I can remember the uh, – this is when AAU had official – state tournament qualifiers and state championships and that and you know and national qualifiers and championships but the team we beat in the state championship that year in the tennessee state championship had a uh, lee lee carter on it who ended up you know going to vanderbilt and playing for four years and, and she was their stud so um you know that's just you know part of coaching the travel ball stuff is the players you get to see and play against one of the things i guess being a coach of you know middle, I'm middle school but i have high school experience we all do um one of the things I see being an AAU or a spring ball coach is you don't get that camaraderie with the coaches. Like you and I, Alex, we talk 
very frequently about all of the opponents we play and give scouting reports. But, like, if I'm coaching against somebody else in spring ball, I feel like the people that I'm coaching against don't have one dang clue about what they're doing. And they're just out there just, you know, cherry-picking all these kids and then reaping the benefits of, like, a good team. I know you probably see that on the AAU circuit where you've got coaches that, don't know what they're doing, but they've got these good girls. So they like take it personally, like, like they're doing something, but in reality, they're not doing really much of anything. How much do you see of that at the big time AAU level? You see a lot of it. You see a lot of it. And you're starting to see a lot of it uh, more frequently here in East Tennessee also where, uh, where these coaches are not, you know, building teams. They're not building the relationships with the players and parents. They are, you know, they they would rather uh, they would rather their their club's uh, image look a lot better on Twitter than it does on the court. And then you know you hear you hear coaches reference, oh these are my girls. You know look what I've done, look what we've done, and um, and so it's you see it a lot on the AAU circuit. And I and I can tell you one thing, uh, you know you know immediately when you see it when when the team takes the court, you know in the first five ten minutes of the game, you can tell uh, what type of coach has. Uh, built the relationships and has built a foundation with their club versus a coach that has just, you know, put players on a team and thrown the ball out there. It's it's very evident. A lot of these uh, a lot of these players too. How are you doing? I, I don't think it's happened as much in your organization, um, just because you guys do. I think do a really good job of building relationships. But um, how often are you seeing? I, I'm just seeing it on Twitter, just because I've been out of the AAU uh, circuit for for a few years, but um, how often are you seeing players uh, hop around from club to club to club? Um, I've seen, I've seen a couple of players that have been, you know, they're seniors now, they've been on four different clubs, you know? So like, what are you, what are you seeing with that? And how's that like affecting the flight organization? Um, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly more, more prevalent. I mean, you see it more and more every year. And, uh, and I don't think, uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that that you're seeing that just because the transfer the, the transfer portal is now you know so common among college athletics, um, college kids, high school kids, they are probably in this day and age, and it's unfortunate to say they are probably going to go play uh, for the coach that is giving them the most attention on Twitter or Instagram or whatever social media account they operate through, um, as opposed to them earning the attention on the court for their wins or for their production or, or for whatever. Um, kids like the attention. Uh, they like, you know, having their, uh, you know, they like having their pictures out there, the highlight videos, the stats, the whole nine yards, which is not really how I operate as a coach and don't really operate any of my teams that way. I want, uh, you know, I want our play and uh, and, and the results to, to get more of the attention than just, uh, than just social media hype, if you will. Do, but do it's certainly so? it's certainly more common. Yeah. Do you, do you think some of that social media hype that some of these players that uh, you know I, I've I've seen obviously I've coached girls basketball for the last seven year old years and and kind of know the ability level of some of these girls that are getting a lot of uh, social media attention. Do you think um, some of these gear, girls are getting over recruited by by what I mean is like some of these girls are signing D one but they're really D two players. Um, do you do you think do you think college coaches are really falling for some of the social media stuff that's going on? Absolutely, absolutely. College coaches fall for it. Um, they don't want to be the coach, you know, whether they're local, regional, 
national. They don't want to be the coach that misses out on a player because, you know, they had the the sweetest highlights, you know, of yeah. the year or something like that. But uh, but you know, it all speaks for itself when those players, um, especially on the girls' side, since that's the side I'm involved with year round. Um. Uh, when these players go somewhere for a semester or year and they're no longer there, you know, at the end of the semester or year, um, that is the majority of time, you know, and there, it could be something with an injury or, you know, something happened with a family or it could be a financial situation, but more times than not, it's because they get they there and realize, Hey, uh, this, this is, this level is not for me. It's a little bit uh, different than, yeah. You know, you may have played against or with some of those girls on the AU level, you know, but again, like we just discussed, there's a lot of those clubs out there that uh, that don't care about defense. Uh, you know, they don't care about the structure. They don't care about, you know, every possession being on the line like it is when you get to the college level. And they find out quick. And I think the coaches, hopefully when they get on campus um, and they get through going to practices and, uh, and the game schedule, the coaches are honest with them and say, hey, this may not be the best fit for you. We may look for another home for you. Um, but, again, you know, the players don't want the the D two NAIA D three attention. They want they want the D one attention. They they want to be able to say, hey, uh, you know, signing day is coming up. Um, I'm signing with a D one school over over a better local D two schools. Which you know, here in East Tennessee, uh, this is as far as I'm concerned, this is the mecca of girls basketball in high school around here, and uh, and that's no different than college. Um, you know, we have some of the best D two programs in the country and D3, uh, you know, uh, right here in East Tennessee. I do a lot of uh, – <clears throat> I work the clock for a lot of the tournaments. And a couple of things I look for, I, I really – I can tell if uh, like a high school or middle school coach coaches the AAU teams. Two things I look for is if the kids are not talking to the other team or to the officials – and if the coach isn't talking to the officials, I can almost guarantee that that coach is a high school or middle school coach. Because usually it's like the dad coaches are the ones that kind of let the kids do whatever they want. It's very interesting. You can just peg them like automatically what kind of level they actually coach at when it's not in the spring. Do you see that too, Alex? Absolutely. Absolutely. You can uh, – uh, It's like automatic. You know, First five minutes of the game, I can tell what type of coach that is by his team. You're you're exactly right, and uh, and you know you still get you know the the AAU exposure tournaments we take our teams to, you're going to get the best of the best, you're going to get the worst of the worst, and you're going to get everything in between, and it's no different from coaches. You know you will we still you know today leave a lot of tournaments and say, uh, how on earth are people entrusting their daughters with uh, you know w with a coach like this? You know, first of all, needing to be a role model, you know, basketball coach and whatever else you know, second and third. Do have a question on Twitter from Jared Bowers. He wants to know some oh. insights uh, from when you were a coach, uh, when you were a teenager coaching at the YMCA. I'm assuming that's a good story. Um, said we wanted to know some insights about that. Well, uh, Jared Bowers would be my brother. And, um, <laughs> and I don't know who, I don't know who in the, uh, in the Clarksville YMCA City League allowed an older brother to coach a younger brother's team. But I, I was 14 or 15, making him 10 or 11, and I know we did a lot of running. Well, I know his, <laughs> I know those boys did a lot of running. <laughs> a lot of running. So there's no, like, one story that stands teams. out. He's just he's just mad at you for making him run. Yeah, he's, he's held a grudge this whole time. Oh, he's a, he probably has a, a lifelong list of grudges. 
Well, while the we do have that that Twitter question, if if anybody does have questions, you can, you know, on Twitter, on we're on Facebook too, on Christians. Uh, Facebook page. So if you have a question, shoot us out there and we'll, we'll ask Alex. So I just wanted to throw that out there while we're talking about questions. Um, I, I've got a question for you. This is kind of just off the AAU topic, but who's been Let's do um, it. In, your, in your, in your coaching career, I've asked Ballman this. So who's been most influential uh, for your coaching career? Um, that's a great question. Um, I feel fortunate enough to almost every level I've played on had a different style of coach. Um, but definitely, you know, uh, 100%, the most influential coach to me was uh, my high school coach, Johnny Jackson. Uh, played for him uh, three out of my four high school years. Uh, we still keep in touch on, uh, if not a weekly basis, every other week today. Um, you know, just I can remember the relationship we had on the court off the court, um, you know, how, you know, we talked about, uh, you know, we, we quoted movie lines to each other, um, just how, how much fun he made it, how much he brought camaraderie to, to our team and, and made that a part of what we were doing. Um, and then the X's and O's side too. He was, he was by far the best, uh, the best coach I ever played for X's and O's wise. We had a play for every situation in the half court, you know, full court, uh, you know, last four seconds type deal, uh, Baseline out of bounds versus man, baseline out of bounds versus zone, you know, side out of bounds. Um, so Johnny Jackson, who's still coaching at Rossview High School back in Clarksville today, uh, definitely the most influential basketball coach. Do what? Was that your coach at Clarksville Academy? It was, and uh, and at Cheatham County as well. Okay, gotcha. So you followed him to, to Cheatham County? Um, he left uh, probably a year before I did uh, from Clarksville Academy. Gotcha. Yeah, so I spent one year without him. But, yeah, definitely the most influential. And, uh, you know, we uh, – on those high school teams, we had team notebooks, you know, where we yeah. wrote down quotes of the week. Uh, uh, you know, we wrote down our plays. We wrote, You know, we kept things that were important to us team. And I still have those high school notebooks and, uh, and stuff I still share with our – have shared with our high school players and, and middle school players. So I still keep that stuff with me. That's pretty awesome. Uh, I've got one more question for you. I guess we're moving on after this, Danny. Uh, outside of Rick Pitino, uh, who's your who's a couple of your favorite college coaches? Can't Man. say Rick. I knew you were gonna say Rick, so that's why I xed him out. Rick, Rick is my is my number one for sure. Uh, love Rick Pitino. Louisville, the 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 national championship, the 2013 yeah. national. I think he's talking about recru recruiting tactics. Didn't that get uh, didn't that get vacated or something? The, the Louisville. Uh, it just depends on who you talk to, I think. <laughs> everybody everybody enjoys their time at a, at a nice Italian restaurant, everybody. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, I really like watching Jay Wright's Villanova's teams play. Um, I really like uh, – I really liked Rick Bird's Belmont teams, now Casey Alexander's teams. Um, those guys are a lot of fun to watch. Um Defensively, uh, Tony Bennett's you know pack line stuff that he's done with Virginia. Even though you know he gets you know some of the best players, they end up being all Americans, whatever. I like adding some of the pack line stuff in defensively. Um, uh, offensively, you know Mark Few uh, is really good. You know I, I know you've taken some stuff from Gonzaga here the last handful of years, um, whether it's ball screen or just motion principles stuff like that. Um, so 
you know, just just a lot of guys like that who are having a lot of success and really, um, you know, really things that um, that I see that I can take from their teams and maybe implement it on my teams, even if it is at the middle school level. But I'll tell you guys, if I watch if I'm watching a college, if I watch 10 college basketball games, probably probably eight or nine of them are women's are women's games. Um, I never miss a UConn game. Um, I never miss a Stanford women's game. Uh, really like to watch Don Staley's teams at South Carolina. So, uh, so I, I watch a lot more women's basketball than I do men's. But, but do keep track of the on the coaches on the men's side too. Garrett Hillard also asked, uh, "Do you have any good stories about coaching against me for the last two years?" And I'll kind of answer that. Usually, by about the second quarter, <clears throat> that game is uh, certainly out of reach. So, really, nothing like out of the ordinary happens uh, when uh, our two teams get together. So, there's not really been. We don't usually like fly off the handle. Nothing crazy's really happened uh, between us here in the last couple of years. Uh, so, I'll go ahead and answer no, that no, one. No, but I do enjoy. I do enjoy watching uh, Rucker coach an intense game of volleyball. <laughs> I love some volleyball. <laughs> what was that that game you went to? That was at Gatlinburg. That was the most yeah, intense. You, that was the most. I didn't even know what I was showing up to, but it, heck, I was on the edge of my seat the the whole time. Yeah, we had actually beaten Gatlinburg the uh, first two times, and like pretty handily. And they came out at their own gym, and it was the last game of the night. And I bet I think they beat us in the first, or we, we beat them in the first set, and they beat us. And they were about to beat us in the third, and they were going bananas. It was loud in there, and we just we ended up winning that set. Was, we just we, we played pretty good. We had a pretty good volleyball team, but it was it was intense. And I looked over at you, and you said something like, "Man, I'm coming to the next one." <laughs> this is intense. I was thinking. I was sitting there thinking the whole time, what have I been missing all year? <laughs> it gets pretty good. Took a couple of good middle school teams. I that's probably one of my favorite uh, things. I I like coaching. I like coaching basketball games more than practices, but I like coaching volleyball practices more than games because volleyball games is just kind of like letting them. It's just their, their reps. You just hope it, hoping their practice takes over. I feel like in basketball, I have a little bit more say in. You know, I can change things up. I can put people in different spots. But volleyball, there's pretty much those six spots you got to put them in. Hopefully, they can hit the ball over the net. Uh, so that was a that was some good uh, good season for us this year. Uh, we're gonna move on, guys, to some national sports here. We got uh, Arizona and Tennessee had a big time game last night. Uh, Tennessee ended up winning by four points. I'd actually picked Tennessee to win. Uh, Alex, who do you think was gonna win before that game? Um, I thought Tennessee probably had the favorable chance to win. I had not seen Arizona play one time, um, but Tennessee has played um, has played a, a pretty tough schedule up to this point, and uh, and it was going to be a big home game on national television. Um, I like Tennessee's chances to win it. I obviously picked Arizona. You did, but you know. The really Tennessee won that in the first four or five minutes. Yeah, I mean, even in the sixteen to two run helped, but they got that run because they were going after every rebound, every loose ball. They were just out hustling them for about five minutes, and I don't think Arizona expected that. They just yeah. kind of they kind of yeah, let Tennessee push them around for five minutes, and that ended up being the difference in the game. Uh, really, really, I thought um, <clears throat> I did. I did not. I predicted that. Uh, Arizona's front court would just absolutely demolish Tennessee's front court just because I felt like um, I still feel like it's a weaker spot for Tennessee. You know, Fulke's been there for 27 years, but I just don't feel like he's a great 
basketball player. I mean, I, th- mm-hmm. I feel like he's plays really hard. I like I, I like watching him play because he does play hard. Um, he gets after it, but I feel like at times he hurts them. But last night he did not hurt them. The, the Arizona's front court, which I thought would just like I said dominate, they're everybody that played in their front court. This is this is what they total: twelve points and eleven rebounds. And UT's front court was twenty eight points and twenty rebounds. So UT's front court absolutely dominated uh, Arizona's front court, which I think is was the difference in the game. Um, and then, like you said, that sixteen to two start, um, I think Arizona ended up with six turnovers in that sixteen. You know, in that that first five minutes of the game, I, obviously that's, I mean, that's the difference. That you take that away, Arizona wins. But mm-hmm. um, obviously, you can't take that away. So, right, you know, not just the turnovers. <clears throat> I think of one situation where ball was trickling into the backcourt. Guy from Arizona was kind of halfway going for it, and Vescovy just dove right under him to get yeah. it. Just like a, it was like three or four plays like that that kind of set the tone early in the game where Arizona was kind of letting them just do whatever they want, and uh, it led to that early lead. And then they just they fouled like crazy too. Twenty eight fouls to Tennessee sixteen. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did like, I, this is the first time I've seen Arizona, but uh, Mathurin, Mathurin, he's yeah. pretty good. He he was is really he, strong in the basket. American player on their team. Everything, I've, every everybody, I felt like was was a a foreign player. Yeah. Yeah. So Alex, that was what, a. Go ahead, Alex. What did what did you think? Did you watch? Did you get to watch the game? I did. Uh, one of the few games I've got to watch from start to finish all year. But you, you guys are exactly right. Uh, Tennessee started that game. Uh, really, you know, the, really the first five to eight minutes until Arizona got settled in. They started that game with an and playing on an entirely different level of intensity. And uh, and Arizona just looked – they looked pretty shook. You know, it, it just took them too long to get settled in and, and to match that intensity level, which is why I think uh, they were getting a lot of those fouls. You know, when you're a step too slow, um, you know, this game, you know, kind of favors the aggressors. Um, so you're absolutely right on that. And something that kind of popped out to me that I thought was pretty obvious the first uh, 10 minutes of the game, I felt like that point guard position for Arizona was a real weak link uh, for them, I mean, the guy's last name. The guy's pocket for like twice. Yeah, it, it looked, and I know they were wearing the same number, but it looked. And uh, and I went back and checked the stats today. He took uh, what was his, his last name was uh, Kerr. Was his last name or first name Kerr or something? First name's Kerr. Like uh, when I saw that, I was like, he's got to be related to Kerr, but he's not, not, not at all. Yeah, first name's Kerr, but I thought I was watching uh, Vescovy from two years ago. You know, uh, looked pretty shaky under pressure, settled for a lot of threes. He took 10 shots, all of them threes last night, uh, four turnovers. Um, but I, th- yeah, I felt like that was a real – yeah, I felt like that was a weak position for them. Yeah. He picked up that technical late. I think it was maybe Todd. And then, you know, obviously – Tennessee was up one shooting free throws. Made those two free he throws. he says something, yeah, and gets, the, and gets the tee there. Got the ball back, got fouled, made another free throw. So, I think he went from one to four in that. Yep. With that technical, yep. But made that guy made several several mistakes. So Tennessee with a big time win last night. I <laughs> uh, saw something interesting on Twitter, and I actually posed a question on Twitter about this. I saw a tweet that said Imani Bates most likely would have been out for the Tennessee game had they played on Saturday, and I I posed the question. Yeah, what was the reason that Memphis didn't play? Was it because they wouldn't have Bates or was it because of COVID issues? And 76% said because they wouldn't have had Bates. Do you think that maybe not having him played a part in Memphis canceling that game on Saturday? 
Um, I, I absolutely think that's a part. I, I, I saw an article with the Commercial Appeal um, out of Memphis, and they Penny said at one point he would have only had four players available. Um, I think he had, you know, Counting Bates. Uh, Bates apparently has a finger injury. Um, mm-hmm. so Bates wouldn't have played. Uh, like two more starters were also injured. Um, and then also the COVID players. He said he only had four players available, which, um, I mean, wouldn't you, wouldn't you know going in, like, you've got Bates is injured, two or three more guys. Like, like how about let's maybe try to cancel this game or move it before one hour before the tip-off, you know? You, you've got to know something more. Um, he, he had to know earlier in the day that – there's no possible way we can play this game. Yep. Yeah, I don't know if <clears throat> I don't know if that was the reason. It just kind of it kind of seemed fishy to me that they weren't going to have their best player, and then co- teams like get a pass now for because of COVID, you get a free pass to say we just, we don't feel we can play this game. Any other time in the past, you'd have had to put five guys out there. Yeah. Uh, no matter what, these NBA you, teams are if they've got eight guys, they're playing. You know, they have to. Yeah. They have to. So now all these leagues are changing their protocols and changing yeah. their, you know, their their guidelines. Yeah. One one thing I was I saw too is that uh, you know Penny said that at the beginning of the season, which he says he misspoke now that uh, like ninety percent or or fifteen out of the seventeen guys were vaccinated or something, uh, but now he's saying that obviously they weren't. He misspoke. They wouldn't play in the Barclays Center, which requires your to be vaccinated to to play. Um, so did. Did he go up there with a bunch of unvaccinated guys and play? You know, Kyrie Irving can't even play in his home. Sure looks like it at this point. I mean, is there is there going to be a consequence from the NCAA for that or from the Barclays Center? or, or so, I mean, something's – I mean, if these guys have been unvaccinated and they played in those games, that's pretty – I mean, that's just blatant. Like, Penny had to have known. Yep. Alex Penny Hardaway, scumbag or not? Um. I don't know if I would go straight to scumbag, but he's not he's not helping his case. He's not helping the reason his I case said that is because one uh, of our episodes we called him and Urban Meyer scumbag, and it was actually in the title. So I wanted yeah, to pose that question to you. Is he a scumbag or is he not? He's not uh he's not a Urban Meyer is a scumbag. <laughs> Penny Hardaway not on the way getting awfully close. You know, the, the base <laughs> thing like Jimmy was talking about in that article, um Bates was out with the finger in, injury. They had two or three more other ones out with the injury. Um, and, and then I just felt like, uh, you know, having those COVID cases the day of the game gave him a real easy out when he was probably already looking for an out. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I, I thought this too was – I looked up uh, – we've talked about this, Amani Bates, before. I don't mean to just berate a, a kid, but, you know, Amani Bates is supposed to be – like I looked up two four seven. There's three three guys. He was fourth in two, the two four seven rankings. He's a five star. He's fourth in the two four seven rankings. Chet Holmgren was above him. Uh, backseat Ben Caro for Duke's above him. And uh, another guy who is at, at Kentucky, but's not enrolling until January uh, this year. Um, and those, I mean, so the Holmgren kid and backseat Ben Caro are having heck, you know, really good years. Um, does that put and, and Amani Bates is having a very below average year for a guy who is a five star um, and, and it was supposed to be all world? Um, do you think that's putting pressure on Bates to? You think he's probably going to force a lot of things? He's only shooting thirty seven percent from the field. 
Um, at I mean, six nine, shooting thirty seven percent for the field. Do you think he's he's feeling a lot of pressure because those two guys above him are are having really great years? I mean, that could be the case. I think that uh, Memphis had the best. They had the number one recruiting class mm-hmm. uh, going into the year this year, and guys, name name one player that was in that recruiting class except for Imani Bates. I can't do it. I can't do it either. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't really know, you know, what the rankings look like. But if Bates was the the crown jewel of the class, and we can't name anybody else, you know how how much how influential are these rankings, anyways? And I think you're right. I think he is trying to live up to the hype, and maybe he wasn't. He wasn't, and he wasn't that. You know, has he should have been that hyped up as as it is all I mean, as we're seeing right now. He yeah. shouldn't have been as hyped up as that. So a guy like him who's averaging ten points a game, does he go to the NBA next year or does he come back? I think I think with uh, with his hype from from high school, I think he probably goes. I think he's a one and done guy. I think I think they're going to look at potential with that with that kid and say, obviously. Uh, Penny's not the greatest of uh, developers of talent because um, he just hasn't. But I, obviously, I know James Wiseman's been hurt, and but James Wiseman has, has panned out. So man, I, I think Penny, the one thing Penny does do well is recruit. Um, I don't think he can coach. I don't. I, I, I think he's just a partial scumbag. But um, I think he does recruit well. So I think I think Imani Bates does go to the league. Yep. I think he's right, going. Yep. Real quick, guys, you got hobnailed. Couple, couple uh, teams I could have picked here. I picked Xavier. They they were ranked and lost to Villanova. And the reason why I picked them was because they were up eight at the half, and they only scored twenty points in the second half, outscored by twenty one to Villanova. Do you know what they shot in the uh, from three in the second half? O for fourteen. O for fourteen, and only scored twenty points. So they are on our hobnailed section. I could have put Alabama on here again. Well, we'd already put them on twice, and Davidson's—they've got a really good coach. You know, they had Steph Curry. They're a surprise. They're not a surprise team every year. They're a solid mid-major team every year, and so I could see a Davidson getting a big team like that. So I didn't want to put Alabama. I didn't want to put Alabama on there again, and uh, I thought Xavier really blew this game. Bowers wanted Georgia, but Georgia's terrible. You can't if you're bad. I don't think you get hobnailed. They did got they got beat by ETSU by two. Yeah, I think ETSU is probably a better team than Georgia. If they played ten times, maybe right. ETSU wins eight times. So, you may be right. Uh, and you Tom, said, Tom do you, are you really hobnailed if you're worse than them? Yeah, it's like Vandy losing <laughs> to ETSU in football. Like, it's, I mean, it just happens, you know. Yeah, if you're bad, Vandy so- didn't. As a Vandy supporter, Vandy didn't just lose to ETSU. They didn't. <laughs> they didn't belong on the same field as ETSU. <laughs> No, they didn't. No, they didn't. Um, but uh, I, I looked up this guy. I didn't watch this game. Um, but that would have been if, if Villanova would have lost that game, that would have been their third loss in a row, which is pretty crazy for a Jay Wright coach team. Um, so I'm sure he had some choice words for those guys at halftime. Um, what do you think he said to them? I think he said probably a lot of bad words. Uh, <laughs> I know. So give us an example. What do you think he said? I can't say it on air. Um, <laughs> not, not allowed to. Um, that's against our uh, Hobnell's code. It's against um, our but, code. As we start code, but Villanova, might, they have four losses. They're eight and four. Um, they're, I mean, they got to be the best four loss team in the country. They, they started out as fourth. They've played five ranked teams already. So I, I don't know if any other, do you think any other team, I haven't looked, obviously, any other teams played five ranked opponents? 
Okay. I think Gonzaga's played three or four, maybe. Yeah. They've played Alabama, Duke, Texas. Uh, I can't think of another one right now off the top of my head. Yeah, they've and, played and, a tough and, schedule. They've got to play a tough schedule because they don't they don't play anybody else during the yeah the conference. Like I think we talked about the other. I think Gonzaga's done playing anybody that's ranked. Like it, yeah, BYU. They played BYU twice, BYU. which was twenty yeah, fourth at the time we said that. They're in their conference, right? Yeah, they are. Yep. So, um, but I also I also noticed that Villanova had forty points in the paint to uh, Xavier's twenty two points in the paint. So. I feel like that was a, obviously in the second half. Uh, Villanova turned it on it and uh, wore Xavier out, which which is another ranked team. So, yeah, I'm going to fill in Emory, Christians. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Emory Ruck, you know, uh, even at that level, 14 threes is a lot of threes to take in one half if you're yeah. hitting. Yeah, you know, if you're hitting at a 30, 35 percent clip. So as a as a coach, at, at what point do you are you oh for oh for whatever? Do you start saying, you know, and you just mentioned the paint points? At, at what point do we we try to balance these paint points out a little bit and and get more and, and start attacking the basket? I say about zero for seven. That's <laughs> when you say, "All right, guys, threes aren't working. Let's yeah. try to get the ball Let's inside and see what happens." I think they ended up taking uh, yeah. maybe 20, 26 threes in the game. They're like six for yeah. six for twenty six or something like that. What's crazy is Villanova in the first half was like one of 13. So I think they both ended up with six threes, but uh, Xavier hit all six of theirs in the first half, I think. Oh, yeah, man. I think at about 0 for 7, you say. Uh, yes, yeah, time to let's pass. Let's that give us somebody else. <clears throat> give us somebody else. I'm going to take Christian's spot with the quote of the week here. And I said last time I don't like to be political, but I do have a co- uh, quote about COVID. Uh, it was from Adam Silver yesterday. Alex, I'm going to see what you think about this. He's and I, I just, I'm not going to say the whole thing, but I'm just going to say like the first part and the last part. He says, "No plans to pause the season. The virus will not be eradicated, and we're going to have to learn to live with it." Is that something you expected Adam Silver to say? Never. <laughs> I didn't um, either when I heard it. I, I was really floored when he said it. You know that is that sounds like a message that uh, people with uh, a fair amount of logic and reason have been saying for the last <laughs> year and a half or two, and yeah. uh, and you know, and a lot of these people uh, in power just haven't shown the ability to to share the same logic and reason. So I was very surprised to hear to hear Adam Silver say that. Now. Do you think he's meaning that we're going to have to stop doing postponing and cancellations and constant testing? Or do you think he just said, no games are going to be switched around. You're going to play with what what we got. What do you think he's meaning by we're not going to pause the season? Because we're not pausing the season right now. But if, a, if the Houston Rockets have six players, they're not going to play. So that's that's still kind of going with those guidelines. What do you think? What do you think is going to happen here with the NBA? You know, I think uh, just because the the circumstances are are what they are, there will definitely be. Well, I can't say definitely be, but it it appears as if there will be some teams that may not be able to play some nights, and instead of you know instead of shut down the league or or pause games, I think they may just have to continue to just rolling with the teams that can play. Um, the games probably don't get made up, and uh, and and maybe the standings just lie where they where they are. 
you know, at the end of April, you know, going into the playoffs time. But but if they're not, uh, you know, if they're not going to pause the league, if they're not going to pause games, uh, then the teams that, that are capable of playing will play their games and the teams that they can't won't. I think I did see something. It may have, I, I can't remember if it's the NBA or not, but I think they're looking at short shortening the time that players are in the protocol. Like yeah, ten to seven. I saw days, that this afternoon. Like that, so that they're in. They're not in. Um, they're not out of playing uh, in games as long as they have been um, here recently. So I think I think the league is looking at changing some of their their COVID protocols. Which should so, help plus moments of cancellations and so that's gonna bring us to our next segment. I actually have uh, one of my points in tweet, retweet, and delete. Alex, you said you like this segment, so I wanted to add this. I've got four points on this, and for those that don't know what we do here, tweet, retweet, or delete. I give you a statement that's kind of like a prediction or something I just kind of pull out, and you guys tell me if you would tweet it, you that means you would claim that tweet as your own. You would retweet it, means you agree with it, but if you needed to, if you got a little bit of smoke from it, you could delete that. Or if you just delete it all altogether, that means you don't agree with it at all. So my very first one is the NBA will be the only professional sports league to, quote, find a way to live with COVID this season. Do you tweet that, retweet that, or delete that? So that means they're not the NBA the will be the only professional sports league to find a way to live with COVID, meaning that they're not going to put a season on pause if, or that, that means that the other leagues aren't going to like pause the season and, and push it back, uh, just like the NBA is planning. The NBA will be the only one that does it. I'm, I'm going to delete that. I think so you that, think, I think other, least, other teams are going to, to follow suit? I think, I think they're. I think other leagues are going to be able to finish. They're going to they're going to find a way to play. Alex, tweet, retweet, or delete. I'm deleting that. I'm de- I'm deleting it for a couple reasons. I think uh, you know almost in the you know almost in the same breath as you just talked about the quote. I think um, I think uh, the NBA's political stance is is somewhat um, you know a little bit stronger than other leagues, and also they have the the smallest roster sizes. You know. Um, you know, that you got to have eight to play or whatever. You know, NFL teams have way more than that. Uh, the NHL, did the NHL just pause? I don't think they've paused yet, but they are canceling some games also. They're canceling some games. So, yeah, uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to delete that for sure. All right, next one. Yeah. Also, the NFL oh, makes way too much money to, 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 to <clears throat> cancel games or postpone games yeah. or – They've already lost part of, you know, some of those leagues have already lost parts of season. They make way too much money to do that. Alex, your brother also agrees with that. He says once one person steps up, everyone else will. So it looks like Adam Silver is kind of taking the, the stand here, and hopefully everybody follows suit with that. And my next one here is also geared towards Alex. I've got Deion Sanders should be the next FSU head football coach. <laughs> tweet that, retweet that, or delete that. Um, at this point in time, I would tweet it. I would tweet it. <laughs> tweet it. Is that is that so you can keep recruits, or because you think he should be the head coach? Um, I think it's both. Um, I know that uh, his Jackson State team just got trounced by South Carolina State, but uh, but you know they were eleven and one and just won the league. Um, so he can 
so he's proven he can do a little bit of coaching, um, adequate coaching, I guess I would say. And he's also proven he can recruit. Um, and also, you know, I think – I'm not saying Mike Norvell is doing a, a poor job there. He's certainly not doing a, a fantastic job. But, uh, but I also think he could, you know, rejuvenate some life in that program, and, and they need that. So I would tweet it. I'm gonna I'm gonna retweet Alex's tweet. So you agree with it? Retweet just, me. I, I, I don't know. I agree with it. I think uh, and and for the reason being, Alex said is that program is not dead, but it hasn't been what Florida State has been uh, in the past. Bobby Bowden and I think Dion uh, breathed some life into that program. And I know because Alex has mentioned it several times. They're uh, their program's way behind and far of and and the aspect of facilities and and stuff like that. So I think Dion could raise money because he played there and understands I mean he has a relationship with Barcelona Sports. I think he could raise the money to build facilities um to get that program back where it's going. And he's gonna be able to get an offensive and defensive coordinator that he could be the face of the program and those guys do most of the coaching. All right, so our next one, Christian had Rucker, told – Rucker, what are you doing with that? What are you doing with that tweet? Are you the Dion should be the next FSU head football coach? Yeah. Yes. Um, I have a hard time hiring somebody like, like Dion, who's a former player until he proves himself with a little bit more than one season. His Jackson State team has a great season. I like Emory, your points are, Emory, your points are valid. That's He's, he's going to bring – he can get money into that program, and and, and Alex, you, you kind of alluded to that too. But should he be the next coach? I mean, does he need more than one year? Or you think one year is good enough for him to prove he should be the next coach? I think I would need a couple more years to prove that, going from Jackson I'm State to Florida State. What would you say? I said I'm fine with that too. I'm fine with that too. <laughs> so uh, Christian posed this question. He found a tweet on – on Twitter, obviously, found a tweet on Twitter. Uh, he found a tweet that said, "Would you rather have your team win ten division or ten SEC East titles in a row for ten years, or win one national championship in a ten-year span?" So here's the here's the uh, tweet retweet or delete. I would rather my team win one national championship in a ten-year span than win ten division titles in a row. And one of the teams he posed, Alex, was FSU. Like FSU had won the national championship, I want to say in 2013 or 2014. 13. Uh, one in one of those years. And now are struggling, you know, to, to even be, be above 500. Whereas Tennessee, he kind of compared it to Tennessee, is on the rise. Um, so I'm going to see what you guys think first. I'm going to kind of tell you what I told him. So, uh, Alex, would you rather your team win one national championship in 10 years or 10 ACC Coastal or whatever the other division is titles in 10 years? It's the one, it's the one natty every 10 years. It's the one natty. And you guys, as Braves fans, should know that better than anybody. Nobody cares about those 14 NL East titles. You know, look at look at Clemson this year. Uh, you know, they're just a couple years removed from a national championship. And uh, you know, that's all people are talking about. Nobody's talking about the ACC titles, you know, that they've won the last handful of years. Uh, so for me, um, I couldn't care less about the ACC conference championships. It's, it's the one natty every 10 years. Emory. I'll, I'll also take the one natty and, and, uh, 
just because I'm tired of hear, hearing people say 1980. I wish, you know, if we'd have won one in that 1980, 1990, 2000, 2010, 2020, that would have been nice. You know, I could we could have sucked all the other years. But uh, I'll take the one, the 190 uh, every 10 years. Here is here was what I told him when he <clears throat> posed this question to us. I'm trying to find it. He said, not a knee-jerk reaction, what would you do? And I said, quote, the ultimate goal is to win a national championship. I say win a natty once. He said, do you think we should save our thoughts and make this podcast? And I said, well, we're already making it. We're already making that here. But he also says, uh, or I'll also add to this, winning the East doesn't even guarantee an SEC championship with the power teams in the West. You, you may win three at the most. So win three SEC championships or one national title in 10 years, and I'd rather take the one national title in ten years. I agree with both of you there. Um, so I, I don't, I don't buy this. We win the division, so we're going to be good for ten years. Now I want that championship. The whole reason is to win that championship. So I agree with you guys. I'm a Georgia that. fan. We've we've won several division titles here recently. I would, yeah. I would much rather take a national title. Exactly. So the last the last one here is a, actually a high school basketball question. We uh, did some realignment this year in Tennessee. We now have four classes. So with fewer teams in high school districts now, each district should take top three instead of top four to the region tournament. Tweet that, retweet that, or delete that. Mm. Emory first. So right now they're taking the top four? Yeah. Just top. like normal. So, so you know, district, most of the time, though, you got four, average so five to eight teams a district yeah. in the three classes. Most of the now districts got, I've seen only have four teams. Exactly. We just have four. So, yeah, exactly. Teams. So, so the worst team in that district could go 0-26, and they go to the first round of the regions. Now the region means nothing because anybody can go. So <laughs> would you – I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tweet that, and here's what I think Tennessee should do. It's just like – like Georgia has done, instead of having districts, you have regions. So I, I think we stay four classes. You do away with districts. You have a region. You can, you can, well, you can still do districts, but you're, you just go straight to a region tournament. So whatever district we match up with, which is uh, the the Clinton, I, I'm in Northview Academy, so we match up with Clinton, Scott. So we pay, play everybody in our district twice. We play everybody on the other side of the district uh, once. And then the next year, so if we played Scott County at home this year, next year we would play Scott County away. So you pay everybody in your district once. You do a one one to eight or whatever uh, standings, and one plays eight, two play. Then you take the top four to move on from the region. Alex, tweet that, retweet that, or delete that, that they should take top three in the district instead of four to the region. Um. I would tweet that as well. I would tweet that as well. Um, uh, I don't think I don't think four need to go. Uh, I like that we're now in four classifications, um, and I also like uh, I think Emory. I've seen him say that a, a few or heard him say that a few times that uh, the way Georgia does it, as far as take you know the top four from the region and move on, that sounds pretty good to me. But you know, like I just told you guys, I think a lot of these new districts are there. Some districts that even have three teams. I don't know if anybody has three. I haven't looked. I, th- I want to say four is the minimum. Four is the minimum. You can't, I mean, you can't, send, a, you can't mm-hmm. send just three teams to the region because then the number one team on the other side gets a bye if you bye. have a district 
And that's so I guess most I've seen have four, which I, which I don't I like. So. The, I don't like the super small districts, but I do like the new classifications. Yeah. So we should do away with districts altogether, probably, like Emory says. Which uh, you know the uh, TWSWA does not care if you have a district tournament. They just say you need four teams into this region yeah, tournament. Yeah. Doesn't matter how you do it. Everybody just does a tournament. Uh, so they, they don't even have to do a tournament if they don't want to. They can just, just say you're one, one you're two, you're in your district and yeah. region. Yep. Yeah. How we're going to move on to our uh, draft this time. We've got best SEC skill players in the last 21 years, so in the 21st century since 2000 to 2021. Uh, we're each going to pick five players, a quarterback, a running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end. And I'm going to have first pick because I am third again in my draft from <laughs> this week, which got 91 votes. Really excited I got 91 votes. Really not excited that I got 13% of the vote on that because <laughs> uh, I had a good team. Durant and Luca as number one and two. That's, that's deadly. Bauer said Joel did, did you in. Joel, yeah, I, in, I like Joel though. Yeah, but I like Joel too, but he's not he's not winning you anything significant in the postseason. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> That's true, but I, I needed the big body to go up against uh, Jokic and Giannis and Anthony Davis. Yeah. All right, moving. We're going to move into our draft. So I'm going to have the first pick, and I think I have to pick this guy, even though he's a Florida guy. He is one of the most decorated college so quarterbacks Ruck, ever. Ruck, Huh? Ruck, 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 tell them, tell them uh, so we're picking the, the best SEC skilled players of the last 21 years. Um, yes. Tell them our breakdown of position, how many from each position. Oh, I did. Did you not hear me? Oh, okay. Oh, one quarterback, one running back, two wide receivers, and a tight end. Isn't that right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Just wanted to make sure I had that right. So my first pick, I'm going Tim Tebow is my first pick. Timmy T, huh? No brainer, no brainer. I have to pick. Oh, that's a solid pick. Um, so I got round, I got second pick, right? Yep. You do? Yeah. You you took yeah. Christian's spot. Yeah. So whoever wins the draft gets the last pick. Whoever gets second gets the second. Whoever finishes last, kind of like they do drafts in. You also, know, if, Christian if you're, was if here, you're the worst team, you get the first pick. Also, if Christian was here, you would still get last pick, Bauer. So. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Our guests always had the last pick. Yeah. Uh, you're putting All right, Emory. Great, great hospitality. All right, I'm going to go with uh, – <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, a pretty solid running back in Derrick Henry. Ooh. I'm going to take a running back off the board early, Derrick Henry. Wow. Wow. All right, Alex, you got um, the next two picks. I got the next two. Okay. You got three and four. Yep. All right. Uh, well, um, I thought for sure Emory would take would take this back based on the stats. But uh, so the back I'm going to take is uh, Nick Chubb. And uh, the reason being, out of the last 21 years, he uh, ranks first. Uh, and uh, and rushing yards at 4,769 and fourth in touch rushing touchdowns at 44. So Nick Chubb is going to be my running back. And then I'm going to follow that up with a uh, guy who uh, broke and set multiple passing records um, at LSU 
uh, two years ago, I believe, in Joe Burrow. Solid pick. All right, Emory, next pick. Next guy I'm going to go with uh, is also wide receiver from Alabama. Uh, it's going to be Julio Jones. Julio Jones. You pick him because he was a Falcons player? Uh, also, he was an absolute animal. <laughs> he's, he's one of the first uh, – I guess he was the first – I mean, they've had a string of wide receivers since him, but I would I would say that he's probably the first one that was uh, really really good. Yeah, at Alabama, they stopped handing the ball off every you know forty five times a game and started passing a lot more. Yeah, um, one of the first guys to to break them out of that. So I got the next two picks here, and I'm going with a running back as the number six pick. Um, I saw him in person absolutely destroy the Tennessee defense. Uh, I'm going with Cadillac Williams. He was almost unstoppable in college. And for lack of tight ends, I'm going to pick a tight end third. And I'm going to pick this guy because he's a Tennessee guy, and he once outran the entire Michigan secondary for a touchdown in a bowl game. And uh, I saw him score the game-winning touchdown in seven overtimes against Arkansas. I'm going Jason Witten. Solid. Jason Witten. So back to me, right? Yep. I'm going with another uh, another wide receiver here. Um, this guy played for the Cincinnati Bengals, currently plays for the Arizona Cardinals. I'm going with A.J. Green, Georgia Bulldogs. All right, Alex. Next two guys, you you all you all made uh, splash sexy picks. I'm I'm making my picks strictly off just stats of the last of the last 21 yeah, years. So uh, I've, got, I've got my that doesn't work with the votes. You got to go sexy picks with the votes. <laughs> I I guess so. I'm I'm going to have to learn the hard way though. Um, I tell you what, if I had Joe Burrow and, and Nick Chubb as two of my skill guys, I feel pretty comfortable. Even solid. if they're not splash picks. Yeah. All right. Do I, I have two in a row here? You do. Yeah. Um, I'll take a receiver, and I'm going to have to take the guy who just, based on stats alone, um, for in the last 21 years, first in touchdown receptions, first in reception yards, and third all time in receptions is Devonta Smith. And that guy was, I mean, that guy was a freak last year. Even watching him in the playoffs, uh, he he was on a, he played on a different level. Yep, absolutely. It was definitely on my list. I went with, I went with the sexy picks. Yep. And um and I guess for for tight end, um I'm going to have to go with the guy who has uh the most touchdown receptions of any tight end in SEC history, and that's Kyle Pitts. Pretty solid. All right, Emory. Emory, you need a quarterback and a tight end. I'm going to go with a, a quarterback here, Heisman Trophy winner, uh, Cam Newton out of Auburn. All right, and I've got two 
wide receivers I've got to pick. Picking one out of Alabama. Picking Amari Cooper. Solid pick. And one out of Ole Miss, A.J. Brown. Another solid pick. Emory got a tight end left. Solid wide receivers for uh, – There for was a, quite a few wide receivers. Yeah. that uh, runs the ball a lot. Maybe yeah. quite a few yeah. wide receivers that are pretty solid. Emory not, tight not end left, tight and then Alex has a wide receiver left. Not very, my, not very many tight ends out there. No, that's why I picked mine first. So I had either Kyle Pitts or Jason Witten. I really, I really <laughs> want to pick a. Uh, you know, Witten's career stats are not very good. They're not, but a lot of our listeners are Tennessee fans, which so makes him Jason the sexiest Witten. pick in the entire draft. Because, yeah. because Kyle Pitts, I, I, I think is was the better tight end than Jason Witten. But I'm trying to go with who might get me the most votes. I got I'm gonna, it. I'm gonna go with a. I was, I was gonna go with a guy out of Florida. <laughs> But I really don't like that guy. So I'm because gonna, he murdered people. He murdered people, and he's a turd. I didn't even I put him on my scumbag. I actually did have him on my list. I'm, I, he's on my list, but I'm marking him off right now because I'm not going to pick him. I'm actually going to go with a current tight end in the, in the SEC, which I think could possibly be um, the best tight end ever to play in the SEC. Um, that's Brock Bowers out of the University of Georgia. Um, he had one of the best. Uh, best tight end performances in recent maybe all of sec history um and is just a a true freshman so he could possibly by the end of his career the next two years be you know as long as he stays healthy could be the best uh tight end that's ever played in the sec didn't he murder somebody also not yet no okay just checking (laughs) i think he makes one he's from napa valley california i think he makes one okay Winemaker. Wow. And Bowers, you got pick. a wide receiver next. Um, you know, I'm going to make the least sexiest pick <laughs> of the draft. But, you know, based on based on where I'm from and statistics only, I'm going to have to pick Jordan Matthews from Vanderbilt. He's on my list, honestly. He was going to be on my list, yeah. and then I thought that maybe not a lot of people knew who he was. I knew who he was. Not, not just first in the last 21 years in receptions, but as leads the SEC all-time in receptions with 262, second well, before, all-time in yards. Before 2000, they didn't SEC didn't pass the ball, so still, I mean, he's you know we're not even worried about those stats. <laughs> if you, right, so if re- you look at the, go ahead. I was just going to recap. What were you going to say? Oh, uh, based on a lot of those uh, uh, rankings, uh, there weren't many uh, statistical leaders from prior to 2000. So, (laughs) offenses have changed for sure in the SEC. All right, we're going to recap our drafts. going to start with Alex quarterback Joe Burrow, running back Nick Chubb, wide receivers Devontae Smith, Jordan Matthews, and tight end Kyle Pitts. Uh, Emory has Cam Newton quarterback. Derek Henry running back, Julio Jones, A.J. Green wide receivers, and Brock Bowers tied in. I have Tim Tebow uh, quarterback, Cadillac Williams running back, Amari Cooper, A.J. Brown wide receivers, and Jason Witten as my tight end. So we're going to post that on Twitter, see who wins our draft this week. Alex is taking Christian's spot, so whatever place Alex comes in, Christian will get that those points for that. And we are going to post that on uh, any, any Twitter. Guys we left off? Any guys we left off? 
Uh, Aaron Hernandez. I almost, I almost picked this running back. Not in the second. I would have, I would have gone with a different pick. But Darren McFadden. McFadden. I had Darren McFadden as number one on my list. I didn't think a lot of people would know who that was. That listen, that would have, that would have picked me. Uh, Also, Eli Manning played in the two thousand, and then Matthew Stafford was was another name I had. I had Manziel Uh, too. Um. Because he broke all of Alabama's records last year, Mac Jones, I had. Yeah. And uh, and statistically, Benny Snell Jr. from Kentucky has been the second best running back of the last 20 years in the SEC. He also carried it 30 times a game. Yep. Um, two, two wide receivers, uh, Alshon Jeffrey and Debo Samuel that, that we left off. Mm-hmm. Emory, a guy who's top eight in every statistical category of the last 20 years is uh, Terrence Edwards from Georgia. Yeah, he was an absolute stud. He 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 coaches a lot of those wide receivers that come out of Georgia, like high school wide receivers. All right, so we're gonna post that on Twitter to see if see if I can get better than third on my votes here this this week. You're way down. You've got to. I'm way down there. I have no chance unless I win like the next three drafts in a row. I have no chance. We got two segments left here. We got the big game sponsored by Tennessee Cider Company. We got Warriors and Suns. If they both have enough people to play on Christmas Day, uh, Suns are a three and a half point favorite. Emory, Suns or Warriors going into this big game? The reason why it's the big game is because the bit the bowl the big time bowls hadn't really uh, <coughs> hadn't really come up yet. This was the best game I could find between now and next. Uh, next week. So Warriors and Suns, I think it's going to be a good game. As long as everybody's got – as long as they both have their team, it's going to be a really good game on Christmas. I think, I think Wiggins is supposed to be out. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with the Suns. Uh, this could be a really, really good game on Christmas Day, um, mm-hmm. similar to what uh, the Warriors-Cavs were a few years back. Um, both teams are tied for the best record in the, uh, in the league with 25 wins, um, four more than anybody else. Um, you know, what I looked at online, uh, Wiggins was out, Damian Lee was out, and also Iguodala was out. So that's that's one of the reasons I'm going with the Suns. Um, Wiggins is their second leading scorer. Damian Lee is that he's not a starter, but he plays the fifth most minutes on the team. Um, so I'm I'm gonna go with Suns and and I'm gonna go with them to cover too. Alex. Uh, I'm going to take the same pick, Suns over the Warriors, and they cover. Uh, it's a home game for Phoenix. Uh, these two teams, I believe, have split already with the home team winning. Um, and really just more so than that, uh, you know, I think uh, I think finishing atop that conference may mean more to the Suns at this point with a younger team than it does to the Warriors. So I think the Suns still may have a little bit more to play for at this point. Do you guys know that the last time the Warriors won on Christmas when they had Steph and then when they didn't have Durant was 2015? So that's been six years since they've won on Christmas without Durant and when Steph was in the lineup. And the Suns have won six of the last seven here. And they actually had, I think, an 18-game winning streak already this year. They've already split with the Warriors, but this being at home, I'm also going to go with the Suns here. Uh, they're playing just like they were last year when they went to the NBA championship. They're playing really good basketball. Really looking forward to seeing the Warriors get Clay Thompson and Wiseman back here uh, pretty soon, also. So they're going to be this is going to be a couple of exciting teams to watch. You know, once football gets done and we get to watch NBA basketball and college basketball here 
the next couple of weeks. All right, moving on to our last segment, throw and shedder. We're going to get straight games. Colts, Cardinals. Alex, who do you think is going to win that one this week? Colts, Cardinals. Colts. Um, I think the Colts have a really good uh, roster built for the playoffs. Um, they're certainly uh, playing better football than the Cardinals right now. Um, and I think it's a bad team to play for the Cardinals to try to get back on track against. Emory? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Colts, uh, too. They won four of the last five, and that includes wins over New England and Buffalo. Um, the Cards have lost uh, three of their last five, and that includes losses to Detroit and Carolina. Also, uh, DeAndre Hopkins is out until possibly the NFC Championship, so that's the reason. Uh, Colts have been playing really, really good. Their defense is stout, um, so I'm going to go with the, uh, with the Colts. I'm also with the Colts. Uh, Cardinals coming off that bad loss to Detroit last week. Uh, Taylor's trying to get into that MVP race. I think he's he's doing a good job of keeping the Colts in, in these games. Uh, Alex, your brother is tearing up the Twitter um, live feed with some comments. He also says Colts, uh, <laughs> by the way. He is loving it. I think he wants to be on a guest. He asked when uh, – he asked when uh, – when we're going to bring in some guests, so I think he's wanting to he's wanting to be in on this. Uh, <laughs> see what kind of kind of conversation he's going to add to this, but he is tearing up the live feed right now. Love it. Could he could he be in more than he has been all night tonight? I mean, <laughs> I, I would say he's in now. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He's been, he's all over these comments. Him and Garrett he's a, are he's, uh, a, he's a diehard Colts fan. He, <laughs> so he's definitely picking the Colts on that. And then uh, you got Keener also says that usually a trip to Hannah's is involved when Bowers is up this late. So must be some good food at Hannah's this late. Hey, good, good food, good dinner shows. <laughs> All right, next one, Lakers and Nets. I've got Nets if Durant is in, Lakers if Durant is out. What do you guys have? I've got, a, I've got the Nets as well. Uh, they've, you know, with – AD out, LeBron's day to day right now. Um, like I said, like you said too, if KD plays for the Nets, I got the Nets. I'll take the Nets as well with KD. Um, I think the Lakers just got back to 500. Um, you know, even with uh, you know, even with the craziness of the Nets roster, uh, you know, they're still I think 21 and nine on the season. Uh, so they're having a solid season, and uh, uh, they've just been a better team than the Lakers up to this point. So which, and means, our last, which means the Cardinals and the Lakers are going to win. Since yeah, definitely pick them with the hammer those other yeah. teams. And our last pick, <laughs> yep. uh, two teams that could possibly meet in the uh, postseason. We've got Gatlinburg-Pittman Junior High Girls and Pigeon Forge Junior High Girls. Both teams have already played. GP took two games already. First time it was 32-3. to Second time we made it a little bit close, 24, a little bit closer, 24-14. to Emory, who do you see taking this one if we, if we meet in the, in the postseason? I'm I'm gonna go. Uh, I hate to do this to your record. I'm gonna go with Bowers and the and the Lady Highlanders. Of, I got uh, the line at fourteen and a half. A line at fourteen and a half. Uh, I'm gonna go uh, Lady Highlanders, but they don't cover. Lady Highlanders, but they don't cover. So we keep it close there. What What did I tell you guys? The line was the second time we played nine and a half. Nine and a half. Nine and a half. <laughs> And we were up. You were up eight. And he told his 13, girls sec he, thirteen seconds left, and one of his girls stole it, took it up for the layup. And the whole time she's going up for the layup, I'm thinking to myself, I bet he hopes she misses this, so so he can cover this. I took the under. <laughs> I took the under. 
I haven't so played she, that girl since. I haven't played her since. <laughs> so we did make it a little bit close. Uh, let it be known, too, that I had to completely change my offense and defense and everything when we lost 32-3 to three the first time to Bowers' girls who just completely dominated uh, in the defensive end. I had to completely change everything. So I'm, gl- I'm glad you did that. It made me really think about my team and wh- what, what our strengths and weaknesses were. I had to really change there. So. Um, I'm not going to make a pick on that one because I'm always going to believe in my girls no matter what. I'm certainly not making a pick, uh, <laughs> making a pick either, especially after the after the last game we just played going into Christmas break. <laughs> we we looked like we looked like uh, and North North you played a, a really good game, but we looked like Arizona the first uh, the first <laughs> six minutes down down big early. We were down thirteen to two. <laughs> that was almost exactly right. Yeah, almost exactly the exact right. same. Yeah. All right. So, I guess it's going to conclude our podcast. I want to thank Alex for coming on and taking Christian's spot today, even though we did have him pegged in to come on the show before Christian said he was out. Filled in pretty nicely there. I'm glad to get to hear some insight. Yeah, we're, actually, uh, we're actually thinking Alex? of keeping Alex on and, and firing Christian. I was actually going to put it uh, on a, to a vote on Twitter. <laughs> and if it got enough, we're gonna. I was gonna show Christian how to use the restream and the anchor app so he can set up his own podcast. <laughs> well, once you know, Christian, Christian may want to revisit his uh, his commitment to this thing once his junior, once his uh, rec league team. What is that? His what's that rec league team he's coaching get started? Some kind of Seymour Junior Pro League <laughs> team. Yeah, he's he's fully committed to that. I don't know if he has time for this or not. <clears throat> yeah, he was telling us how he got so mad the other day when they lost. And all I could do was laugh because I wanted to say, well, what kind of things did you work on in the two practices that you've had all year? <laughs> oh, Lord. So, Alex, appreciate you coming on and uh, uh, talking some sports with us and uh, getting us a little, few more listeners, a few more followers just because Alex was on the show. Emory, do you have anything before we close out? I appreciate Alex coming on. Uh, I'm sure we'll have him on again in the future. Um, let's keep uh, – if you're out there, follow us. Retweet us, get other people to listen. Uh, we just have fun doing this and want to want to reach as many people as possible. Alex, you have anything before we close out? Uh, just thanks for having me on. I uh, had a lot of fun. I knew we would have a lot of fun, and uh, uh, I just enjoy supporting you guys. Uh, you have a great show, and and uh, hope it continues to go well for you. I appreciate that. We're going to uh, post this tomorrow. We did have the live feed today, but we're going to post it on Anchor and Spotify tomorrow and post that uh, Twitter poll. Uh, see you guys vote for in our NF, our SEC uh, skill positions of the 21st century. That's going to conclude episode 16 of Hobnails, Hoops, and High Cheddar by Everyday Fans for Everyday Fans. Appreciate you guys listening. Check us out on uh, Spotify, and uh, we'll see you guys next week after Christmas with episode 17. <laughs>